Well, welcome to 70 Plus, where we get to know people over 70 with interesting life stories. Today, we have 91-year-old Irene, who happens to be a close friend of my grandmother's. She currently lives in the Palm Desert area. Welcome, Irene. Thank you. Nice to see you and meet you. Yes. Okay, let's jump into it. So, first, I'd just love to know how you met my grandma, actually. I met your grandmother through uh, some mutual friends, and uh, we started to play canasta together, and I just, it was, well, I actually met her before that, but um, we didn't have a chance to bond, but at canasta, we just all, like, immediately bonded. I just love her personality. (laughs) Okay, so would you mind telling me a little bit about your childhood? Well, um, I was born in the Bronx lived in a tenement building or uh, actually and shared a room with my brother until I got married, which uh, I know sounds weird today to, to today's kids, but at the time there were, you know, siblings were sharing rooms because uh, these were tenement apartments. We lived uh, in a two bedroom, one bath apartment. And imagine that we were able to manage for all those years until I got married. Did you get into arguments room-wise? Oh my God. Well, well, uh, I wouldn't say arguments, but my brother was three years younger than I, and he was a terrible tease. And so, uh, yeah, I, uh, we, we did not get along until we got older, and, and now I just love him dearly. <laughs> the, yeah, the, those were terrible years when he was a terrible tease, and he admits that. So. Yeah, I share a bathroom with my brother, and we get in lots of arguments about that, so I cannot imagine sharing a room. <laughs> yes, a room and a bathroom. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> Is he your only sibling? Yeah, he's my only sibling. How was your relationship growing up? Well, growing up, it was it was so much better, but, but um, see, I he joined the Navy. This was during World War II. So he joined the Navy when he was really young, like 17 or 18. And then since I was three years older, I got married about that time. And um, my husband and I decided we were going to leave New York. We, we did not want to stay in the Bronx. We did not want to stay in New York. But it was a very difficult decision because uh, it meant leaving my family and leaving friends. But we decided if we didn't do it while we were young and we got stabilized in New York, we would just stay there. So we decided to come to California. So what was the reasoning behind wanting to leave New York? Well, the tenements were certainly not a place where you want to continue living forever. And uh, I just, actually both of us felt that a new environment would, would uh, be better for us. And, and my husband had been in the Navy and he had been recuper- he had been wounded and recovering in San Diego. So he had a taste of California. And um, that was one of the motivations, you know, to move here. It was the best thing, best thing I ever did, really, because we brought our parents out. My brother came out, and our entire family moved here eventually. Tell me a little bit. Tell me about your parents. Oh, my parents were great. Um, um, I, I was close to my mother, but I was, I think, closer to my father because uh, they were very different. And I think I got the both of them and I like what I got out of both of them. My mother was very, um, you know, like she was a poker player and she loved and she smoked cigarettes and she uh, loved to have um, a shot of uh, Southern comfort every once in a while. But my father was uh, different. He was very political and he was very, and he was musical. And uh, so he, played the mandolin, which he learned in Russia, and that's where he came from. So when he came over to this country, he continued playing, and then he insisted that I learn how to play the mandolin, so I did learn how to play it, and took private lessons, and I know it, it, he bribed me for to practice. He would give me a quarter a week to, <laughs> so, that I, <laughs> so that I would be motivated to practice, and I did, and eventually, I joined the uh, New York Mandolin Symphony Orchestra 
And I was the I was the youngest person in that orchestra, and we played in Carnegie Hall. Wow, how old were you? I know, and and you know, at the time, I had no idea how impressive that was, but I don't hesitate to tout it now. I say, (laughs) you know, I once played in Carnegie Hall, and I was only thirteen at the time. So thirteen. Yeah, I was thirteen. I was the youngest person in that orchestra. I bet you're glad he forced you to play now. (laughs) Yeah, I I am. I am, and and uh, and as a result, you know, I I. Um, impose this learning on my children and I insisted that they learn instruments which they did. What did they learn? Well my my son learned the trumpet and my daughter um, learned the piano but she really learned it on her own she really didn't take lessons I couldn't get her to take lessons she was one of these teens that I had two daughters one learned how to play the piano when she went to college and the other one learned how to play on her own and made a living out of it actually so uh, they both kind of learned piano wow <laughs> yeah yeah that's impressive amazing. yeah it, it was and my daughter was um both my daughters were really well I, I lost one daughter three years ago to lung cancer and um she was uh, a voiceover actress and she was very successful and she is the one that learned the piano on her own. And now it's really interesting because my older daughter, who's married and the grandmother herself, um, learned piano in college, and now she's taken it up again. She just loves it. She just bought herself a little uh, keyboard <laughs> or piano, so she just loves it. Takes a lot of the time. So let's circle back around a little bit. (laughs) So how was school for you growing up? Well, I was good at school and I liked school, but we, our family was really poor and my parents were immigrants. So they never thought in terms of college. And I always thought in terms of, of earning money. So when I graduated high school, my mother's, uh, my mother said to me, you know, you can be whatever you want, but take take typing and steno so that you can always make a living. And and that was the main prime goal in those years of for kids. Make a living. That was their motto. That was their admonishment to us. So I did not go to college until I got married later, later, later on, and I had kids. And that was when I pursued some college education but in the meantime i was very successful in my career and uh, i went from um a secretary to uh and i i learned i um, became a legal secretary and i made good money and when i came to california i was a legal secretary in a law firm in beverly hills and then from there i went to law office i was a law office manager and from law office manager, I went to vice president of the company. Wow. So I, I was very successful, despite the fact that I didn't have a college degree. But I have to say that if it were this era, I would have to have had a college degree. But at that time, you could move up that ladder on your own if you had the intelligence and the wherewithal and the ambition. How did you get into that? Well, you know, um, you never know that somebody isn't going to say something that's going to lead you on a certain path. And I'm a firm believer of that. I think somebody could utter one sentence, one comment, and that gets you into an area that you didn't think you could handle. So I was just an ordinary secretary in a place. And I had a cousin at the time, this was in New York, and he had graduated from Columbia. And he said to me, yeah, and he, he took me to lunch one day, and he said, you know, he said, I graduated with two guys who just opened up a law firm, and they're looking for a legal secretary that they can teach, because they can't pay a lot for a, a real legal secretary, and would you like the job? Well, at the time, I was making $18 a week at my present job, and I said, how much does it pay? And he said, I don't know, I think it pays $23 a week. And I said, well, that's $5 more than I'm making now. Yes, I'm in. So I 
got that job, I interviewed for it and I got it immediately and that started me off as a legal secretary. And today, you know, legal secretaries are making upwards of 70,000 a year if they're good legal secretaries. So it was a really good path for me. And, um, you know, I just uh, thank him all these years. I've always thanked him for turning me on to that. How old were you when you started? Well, I was out of high school and I was, I was 17 and a half. So, you know, that was my first job in like, let's say, eight, almost 18. And then when I started this legal secretarial thing, I was 19 or, or maybe 19 and a half. But then I got married uh, shortly thereafter. And that, well, I'm not going to I know this sounds crazy, but that screwed me up. <laughs> only, only in the sense that I didn't pursue my own career for many years. And, um, and it just deterred me at the time, but it didn't deter me long-term. I, I still accomplished. I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I used to blame my husband for um, coercing me to work all the years that we were married and that I had children. I, I really worked all those years. And I used to blame him for it because he got used to two salaries and didn't want to go back to one. But it really wasn't his fault. It was mine. And I think we have to take the blame and we have to, or not, I don't know if you call it blame, but we have to take the responsibility for decisions we make. And I see now that really um, child rearing was not where my ego was. My ego was in working. And although I blamed him for many years for uh, quote unquote making me work, it was not his fault. It was it was uh, something that I really enjoyed doing, and that was where my ego was, and that was where you know. Now I recognize today that I missed out on a lot with not seeing everything that my children did when they were growing up. We had nannies and we had daycare, and we had things like that. But uh, today I. I go back and I say, I wish I would have been home more to see them growing up and to see the little things that they did um, as they matured. Do you think you would have been happier at home with the kids? No. No, I, I wouldn't have been. I, I, I was a career person. And I, I really, like I say, that's where my ego was. And that's where I was very successful. Uh, I think I would have been successful as a as a mother too as a parent I was because if my kids complain today about anything I say look who you are I must have done a really good job because you are look who you are I love who you are and you should be proud of yourselves and I'm proud of you so I think I did a pretty good job even though I wasn't home with you all the time so tell me how you met your husband oh my god I don't think I don't know do you want to? Well, my first husband, I was married twice. So my first husband was a neighborhood boy. And um, he's a nice Jewish kid from the neighborhood. He'd just gotten out of the service. And um, when boys got out of the service, they had had such a hard time with the war and so on. They were not going to go back home and live with mommy. You know, they, they became men overnight. So uh, I think that a lot of them wanted to get married and have families of their own. And um, they wanted a life of their own. And going back home was not kind of in the cards. So that was this, the case there. He was out of the Navy, had been wounded. Uh, he was now grown up. He was 23 uh, and not 17 anymore. And um, he was looking for to get married. And... Uh, and I was, you know, 19 or 20. So at that time, that was like the only way you could get out from under your parents' um, domain. And uh, it was, that was back in, in 1948. So it was after the war. And that's when we got married and decided to have our own family and come to California. That was my first husband. My second husband is a lot more exciting. <laughs> So how exactly did you meet your first husband? That's how I met him. He was a neighborhood. He was in the neighborhood. Got it. And yeah, and he lived just a couple of blocks away from me. 
I had known him for some time, but we've not dated because I was younger. And uh, How old he was were you when you got married? 20, okay. 19 and a half. Yeah. And then I had, I had my first child when I was 21. So um, it was really kind of cool because I was 41 when she was 21. And so we were like twins, you know? Well, <laughs> in fact, we were, uh, she visited me once at, at a law firm and we were in the elevator with two of the attorneys that I was working for. And, and they looked at each other and they looked at us and one of them said, I'll take the mother and the other said, I'll take the daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a joke, but it was really fun. <laughs> what about your second husband? Well, my second husband was, um, there was, there was 13 years in between first and second husband. And I divorced my first husband when I was 45. And so I met my second husband when I was about 46 or 40, about 46. And uh, we, quote unquote, went together for 12 years. We did not live together. I did not want to have another serious relationship. But we knew each other and, and went together and dated for about 12 and a half, 13 years. But I was living the life. I mean, I was living in Marina Del Rey. I was single, attractive. Uh, I did a lot of traveling in those years because my first husband was like a home person. He did not want to travel. Mm. So in that 12 years that I was alone, I went everywhere. I mean, I went to Czechoslovakia and I went to France and England and Canada. And I just really traveled a lot and Hawaii traveled a lot in those years. And um, then I guess I met my second husband at a, a restaurant bar. Um, he was a, a movie camera operator and um, my girlfriend and I were friendly with the restaurant owner and he the restaurant owner was French it was it was uh, and he called her up and called well called her and he said I don't know why you girls don't come down to the restaurant he said there are so many guys here from Columbia Studios he said you God would have such a good time. So, so we said, okay, we're there. <laughs> we'll be there tomorrow night. And that's where we were. And it was right across the street from Universal Studios in Burbank. And, um, and sure enough, the crew from Colombo came in and they had been working all day and they were ready for drinks and girls. And my girlfriend and I were there and that's where I met my second husband. But like I say, we didn't get married for 13 years into the relationship. I wanted to be single. and He was also divorced and he wasn't anxious to get married either. So, you know, he'd say after a few years, you know, maybe we should get married. And I'd say, ah, you know, I don't know. What's the rush? And then he, then I'd say, maybe we should get married. He'd say, well, I don't know. What's the rush? <laughs> so 13 years later, we finally decided to. And I don't really know to this day why we did it. We could have just lived together. We tried living together once and uh, it didn't work and I kicked him out. So, but we started a date again. So the second time around, or the per most permanent time around, we were married 31 years the second time. Wow. The second husband, yeah. He passed away three years ago of cancer. Ugh, I'm and, sorry. Uh, yeah. It was a very sad time in my life because my middle daughter Lori also passed away and they passed away within two weeks of each other oh. and it was um, a very very terrible time for me for the past for the next year I was in mourning and I lost 30 pounds and that was the only good thing about it <laughs> I lost 30 pounds but <laughs> you know the, it's the 30 pounds you always want to lose when you get older and uh, that finally did happen but it was sad the way it happened uh, yeah, I miss my daughter every single day. Um, but I have my other daughter and I have my son. And um, my daughter lives in Lake Tahoe. And um, my son lives in Grass Valley, which is about 35 miles north of Sacramento. So every year up until recently, up until COVID-19, I was going up to Tahoe for at least two months, like, like July and August, and then I rebond with my daughter and and my son, and now um, 
I would be up there except for COVID-19. So that has screwed everybody up, you know. Um, there you go. So how did you cope during the time when you lost your husband and your daughter? It was, it was really difficult because um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think of her every day and, and I was watching a program the other day where um, people were getting married and uh, I thought I never, I never had the chance to see her walk down the aisle. But she and I had a standing joke. Actually, she never got married. And she was just so beautiful, but she was also um, very wary of getting married and she just never could find the right person. So she decided when she was 38 years old, she called me and she said, you know what, mom? She said, I really like to have a child. And uh, what, how do you feel about that? And I said, no, how do you feel about it? And uh, I said, do you think you could support a child? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I think you should do it then because I don't want you to come back when you're 45 and say, I wish I had done this when I was 38. So um, we both agreed that, you know, it's something she should do. And she was dating a guy at the time. She had been dating him for about four or five years and uh, had decided after that length of time that she didn't want to marry him. But she did want his child because he did have good genes and he had some other qualifications that, you know, he was handsome and so on. So she decided to have his child and she did. And um, his name is Lucas and he came to visit me yesterday and we have the most, he's the most wonderful kid. It's uh, L-U-K-A-S is how she spelled it. And um, he's just great. And she did such a good job in raising him. And um, when he, when she passed, you know, he knows that he's so loved by the family. And he was spent time with me yesterday. He was in Palm Springs and we had breakfast together and spent several hours. So he's such a good kid and he's so handsome and just wonderful. Not on drugs. He because, what? How old is he now? He's 26. Oh, nice. Yeah. And oh my God, he's so handsome. He's like, <laughs> oh my God. He's like Gregory Peck. I don't know if you know what Gregory <laughs> Peck is, but anyway, he's, he's a wonderful kid. He's, doesn't drink or smoke, or he's a football player, so he's got a great body. Six five. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's really great. So that's. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your children growing up, and then. Yeah, my my daughter Parise. Uh, it's the six year difference between Parise and Lori, and uh, then there's only. 18 month difference between Lori and Michael. Because when I had Lori, it being my second daughter, I decided, okay, I'm gonna be home for a while anyway, might as well try for the boy. And uh, we did luck out and we got Michael. So um, they, were, they were just really good kids. Lori was a maverick. She, she was the one that, that um, was rogue if you want to call it, you know, she was rogue. She um, was so smart, but she barely graduated high school and not because she wasn't smart, but because she didn't attend. I mean, she was just truant all the time, which I didn't know about because I was working. So, um, but she was very, Lori was very special. She, um, she never took a piano lesson and yet, she um, got a job playing piano. Can you, if you can understand that? Mm -hmm. She <laughs> she never took a voice lesson, but her first job was voice and piano. She had a beautiful voice, wow. and she made a, a beginning career out of a piano bar. She was a piano bar singer, so um, you know that was very exciting. And I used to visit her at all these places, and she she did the um, whole uh, gamut of all of the uh, Marina Del Rey hotels. I mean, she sang and played piano and sang at all of those places and to play guitar. And always, all of that was learned, self-learned. She didn't have a lesson. 
And then eventually when she was piano bar singing one time, the guy came in and he really, and she was gorgeous. I mean, she was like 22 years old and just beautiful. And um, he loved her voice. And he said, have you ever uh, thought about doing voiceover? And she said, no, what's voiceover? And he told her what voiceover was and she started to take lessons. And about one year later, her voiceover instructor said, you need to get an agent because your voice is really good. And she said, oh, no, no, I don't think so. And he said, yeah, we're going to make a tape. So they made a tape and they, they um, submitted it to an agent and she got signed immediately. And from that, her career took off and she became a voiceover actress and made a lot of money. And um, she just was very, 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 very successful. And here was a, a kid who never even hardly graduated high school. So it's like she had her teenage rebellion, but she got back on track. <laughs> she did. She got back on track. She she did. And and uh, she never she didn't drink. She didn't smoke. She uh, had her fill of that when she was in her teens. And she it has scared her. And and because it scared her, she told me that story. And she said, I was so scared, mom, that, you know, that when I. Uh, if I smoked pot, she said, I was afraid that my mind would go somewhere and it wouldn't come back. Mm. And so she didn't smoke or drink after that. So yeah, she got right on the right road. And, and Paris was always smart and went to college on her own. Lame. Really, she 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 was the oldest one, and she she's just my angel child. I mean, I don't really know what I would do without her these days. And my son really came. He He's more quiet than the others, more of an introvert. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's always there for me. And, um, you know, he's a birder. He loves birds. He loves ecology. And he's, you know, he loves gardening. And and he's a, he's a locksmith. That also something he learned on his own but was very successful in and has had his own business for a lot of years. So the three kids were just, I'm so proud of them. And it was a big loss for Lori. She and I always had a little thing where I say to her, you know, whenever you get married, I have $500 put aside for your wedding. And this was when, when it was, let's say 40 years ago, when she was 20. And, and uh, I always, so that was doable at that time. So throughout the years, even though she didn't get married, I would always say to her, look, whenever you decide to get married, the $500 is waiting for you. Of course, you know that weddings today cost $25,000. So it was a standing joke between us. And it was a heartache for me that she never did find the right person. But she did the right thing in having Lucas, and he's the blessing. He's something good always comes sometimes out of something negative that's my philosophy i always think when something bad is happening you not you can't think of what of the bad that's happening you have to think of the good that's going to come out of it like if you lose a job every job i've ever some i've been fired from and some i just left and i always find something better afterwards and um as you mature, you, you realize that um, nothing is always, always bad. There's something good that comes out of it. That's a lovely way to look at life. Yeah, I think so. It's helped me a lot. So you mentioned that you traveled a lot. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, my God. I just, you know, I was married to a husband who didn't like to travel. He was a home person. The only place he liked was Las Vegas, and then I got to hate it and to resent it. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I knew I was going to do when I uh, divorced him was travel. So I went to England twice. Uh, once it was a city thing, London and and uh, all the museums and the churches and the whatever. And the second time I went, it was at the Cotswolds, which is country, and Avon, where Shakespeare was. and. Uh, it was just just a really good experience, and uh, I went to Italy, and uh, I was you know in Rome, and I did all the things that all tourists did, the Colosseum, and so on and so forth. I'd love to go back there sometime, but 
you get older and things happen and, and you can't travel as much. So I kind of knew that at the time. I, I needed to travel when I was in my, I did all my traveling, almost all my traveling when I was in my 40s. So, uh, and that's when I could appreciate everything. Mm -hmm. And I had the money and I had the time. I made the time. And I went to France and uh, I went with my girlfriends and we stayed with a woman that one of my girlfriends knew that lived there. So we went to, um, we went to Paris and explored Paris. And then we drove through the wine country all the way down to Nice where, you know, they were people bathing in, uh, without, bath without tops. And that was at a time when it was not, it was not acceptable worldwide, but it was acceptable in Nice. And I remember my friends said they were going to take a, a drive at, uh, on a certain road, which we had already traversed. And I said, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm going to the beach and I'm going to take my bathing suit down. <laughs> and, and, and I said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. And that's what I did. I went to the beach and I just, just took my top down because everybody else was taking their top down and they weren't going to be looking at me any more than they were looking at anybody else. So that was, you know, an experience. And, and um, that was in France. And then um, I went to uh, Czechoslovakia with some other friends and uh, we went to Prague and, and uh, so on smoked grass when we weren't supposed to. And, um, but we did. And, um, and then um, where else was I? Um, Italy, France. I never went to Russia, but um, Canada. I, I had a wonderful time when I went to Canada. I, I, I went to Canada on my own, and I went to the Calvary Stampede, which is worldwide, worldwide known. And there was, I wanted to go there. So I went there, and um, I decided also that I wanted to go from there to Vancouver, but I wanted to take a train, a Pullman, because I always saw in the movies how they had these Pullmans and you slept, you slept in one of these, you know, uh, upper bunks and all that. And I wanted that experience. So I made arrangements to go from, uh, from Banff to Vancouver by Pullman train. And I met the most wonderful people in Canada. Uh, when you when you're alone and traveling alone, and you're young and attractive, you meet a lot of people. And that's I, I say that because I couldn't do it now. Let's at my age, I would not be accepted in certain groups. Uh, if I were traveling alone, I would not be um, privy to some of the experiences I had. For example, when I was in Banff, okay, I was alone, and I asked the um, hotel concierge if there was music anywhere where I could have dinner and listen to music. And he said, yes. And he touted me on a restaurant. And when I got to the restaurant, I sat alone and listened to music and had dinner. And uh, uh, adjacent to me, there was a table of, of young people that they were in their, let's say mid twenties. Mm -hmm. and, and they saw me alone and they said, hey, come on over and join us. And so I say that I was young enough and attractive enough so that they were interested. If I was an old lady, as I am now, that would not have happened. You know what I'm saying? It was a different, it would have been, a, well, it would have been a different um, match. I don't know how else to put it. But, you know, I joined them and I had a beer alongside with them. And then one of the young, younger guys said, you know, let me, let me take you home. And I said, no, I know what, I know what that means. And uh, so, you know, I didn't, but again, when I was in Canada, the most, I had the most wonderful experience. I was, uh, I decided to go up to the top of the mountain at Lake Louise and they had a, um, they had a uh, homemade pie place and coffee at the top of the mountain. If you could get to the top of the mountain. Now there were two ways to get to the top of the mountain. One was to walk, around on a particular, on a regular path. And you would go from like, like, let's say three, 3,500 feet to 7,000 feet, but you took a pathway. And the other way was to climb up the mountain. Well, I wasn't going to do that. So, <laughs> you know, again, I was like 43, 45 
And so I took the pathway up to the mountain and on the way and took my time and there were other people on the path and I took my time and there was a, a young guy that, a young kid like 19 or 20 who started to walk with me. And um, I said to him, I said, you know, move on ahead because I'm slow and I'm, I don't want to hold you back. And he said, no, I really like talking to you. I said, okay, well, if you come with me to the top of the mountain, I'm going to buy you the coffee and piece of pie. And he said, okay. So we got to the top of the mountain. And that's what I did. And then we walked down together and he was telling me that he was in a camping trip. There were no showers. There were no anything. I said, well, you know what? I said, I'm leaving my room right now. I'm on my way to Vancouver and I'm going to be taking a bus and I'm going to be in my room packing. So if you want to take a shower there, you can. So he said, really? I said, yeah, but you know, no hanky panky. That's up front. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that up front. And he said, oh, darn. I said, no, no, <laughs> no. So I said, that's, that's the caveat. No, nothing. So he said, okay. So we get to my room and we just kept talking and talking. He never did take the shower, but we never did have hanky panky either. <laughs> and so, you know, um, that was um, part of my experience um, there. You don't sound like you were very shy. <laughs> no, I was, I had the same personality, you know, I had the same personality then that I have now, maybe even more so because, um, I was very confident. I had a great job and I knew I was attractive and I knew I was young enough to um, have fun. And um, I did meet someone else. This was a really kind of odd thing to tell you, but I did meet someone in Calgary. It was raining and th this guy approached me because I was, as I say, when you're alone and you're that age, you attract a lot of people. And this guy was very interesting and we got to talking and he, and he also was on a, he was a university professor. He was from Washington, um, a state of Washington. And um, he was a university professor, young, just gorgeous looking and, and uh, smart. And he wanted to take me out to dinner. And I said, okay, I'm staying at such and such a hotel. And, and, you know, you can pick me up at six o'clock or whatever. And he said, okay, he would be there. So I get back to the hotel and I ask the concierge, I say, where is there a good place to eat dinner tonight? Because I told him someone's meeting me. And he said, oh, no, no, madame. He said, no, there's no place. I said, what do you mean? And he said, there's no place to eat because everything is in Calgary is closed on Sunday evening. It's all closed. I said, well, what about at the hotel right, staying? No. Madame, no, uh, nothing. So I thought, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So this guy comes at six o'clock and um, he did pick me up at the hotel and um, I had a joint with me. Uh, I, okay, okay, I was, 45. I was 45 and I was perfectly adult enough to smoke, but, but, um, when he came, I said, there's no place to eat. And he said, I know. He said, I found that out. And I said, well, I said, I don't know what to tell you. I said, do you smoke? And he said, what do you mean, do I smoke? And I said, well, I have one of the crates. I have a joint with me. And he said, you cross the border with a joint? You can't <laughs> cross the Canadian border? And he told me the story. He said, you know, he said, I'm a professor. And they searched every ounce of my trunk when I came across he said he said they didn't find anything he said at the very top of my tent there was a filial and I had a joint in there and when they got to that point they said oh well this guy doesn't have anything and he said I did have a joint in there and he said I was taking my life in my hands because uh, they would have arrested me and he said they would have arrested you how did you get away with that I said well I was a cigarette smoker at the time so I had packed uh, marijuana into a real cigarette and I just put it into my regular pack of cigarettes and so they, they never questioned that so anyway the long and short of it we smoked the joint <laughs> and we had a very good evening but I put the music on and we danced and we had a really good evening it was fun it was a lot of fun do you think you liked traveling alone more or with your friends um 
I like traveling with my friends, but I really, at the time, I loved traveling alone more because uh, then I was my own person and I could get up whenever I wanted and I could make the, do the route that I wanted and see the places that I wanted. And I wasn't um, obligated to um, worry about where everybody else wanted to go or what time they wanted to get up or go to sleep right. or meet. And I found that when you travel alone, you meet a lot of people that you do not meet when you're with someone because um, it's too imposing when you're with someone. Right, you're more people think they're, Yeah, exactly. So uh, when I traveled alone, but it depends on your age and, and your personality and your fear level and uh, 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 confidence on, on a lot of things, I made these arrangements on my own. And, um, you know, I didn't go with a tour. I went on my own. Now, I, I wouldn't have done everything like that on my own. For example, I wouldn't have gone to um, maybe to Italy. I don't know. I, no, I, I think I would have gone on my own. I love traveling on my own, but I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't do it now. Now I would travel with friends. Right. Okay, so I also heard that you wrote two books. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did write two books. I wrote, I'm a writer. I uh, have found that um, I, I love writing and um I did write two books. One is called Rosie's Gringo Palace. And, um, and it's about a woman who um, retires at a younger age and decides to open up a grocery store in a ghetto area. And um, she was a Spanish high school teacher. She's a Jewish woman, but she's retired and she, decides to open up this little grocery store because she has she's not ready to retire and she has nothing better to do and her family owned a grocery store at one time so she decides she would like to do that but it turns out that it's in a ghetto area and um she starts to teach english to some of the people there that she approaches one woman who has two children and she says how come you're in this country for five years and you still don't speak English? And the woman says, well, because I have two children and I don't have time. And so Rosie says, why don't you come every day with your children and we'll go to the back of the store and we'll sit on crates and I'll teach you English and, and you can bring your children. And this woman says, oh, gracias, gracias. And she comes and Rosie starts to teach her English. And, and this woman starts to tell her friends about that. And so the community learns of this person who's teaching English and they start to ask her if they wouldn't, if she wouldn't teach them. And it turns out then that she turns the back of her grocery store into a little school and she starts to teach English to these immigrants. And because of that, they start to get jobs and they can fill out applications. And it's because of Rosie that the entire neighborhood changes because some of the women who know how to sew can now read a pattern and they get other women and they teach these women how to read the pattern and they start to sew things and make things in their homes and they start to enhance the livings that their husbands are making and their husbands come to Rosie and they learn English and they learn how to fill out the applications and they get jobs. And the gangs in the area say, okay, if they can do it, we can do it. And so it's, um, she changes the entire community, starts to thrive because one woman did this in, in one little way or one big way. And so that's the gist of the book. But there's a lot of sex in it. And um, so that, and there's, there's, um, there's gangs in it who benefit or lose because of you know their lack of education anyway that's the gist of that story and uh, the other book is called twisted shorts and um, that's short stories and the reason for that book is that i had a lot of short stories a lot of little stories in my head that wouldn't uh, would not move into a novel 
And uh, I thought, what am I going to do with all of these? Somebody's just going to delete them from my computer and nobody will know anything about them. So I started to write the short stories. Some of them are good. Some of them won some prizes in um, the Palm Springs Writers Guild. Uh, five of them won awards. And, um, and the others are come see, come sigh, you know, not, not great, but doable. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to publish this book of short stories. Some of them are good and some of them are not. Some people, I hate short stories myself, but I don't mind writing them. I don't, I'm not crazy about reading them. <laughs> I love them. I might have to get that book. Oh, Twisted Shorts. Yeah, it's, it's good. There's, there's five really good stories in there. Where do you think you get the inspiration for all of these ideas? Well, I think that your background lends, I think that if you, if you look into yourself and if you could look outside yourself as well, um, there's so much to write about. Um, there's so much, I, I think my girlfriends in the Bronx were very influential. In fact, I dedicated my Twisted Shorts to all my girlfriends. I had, there were seven of us and we were very close. They were half year older than I, and they were half year ahead of me in high school. But I never made friends in high school because I always relied on my tenement friends, I call them. And um, we have been in touch all these years. Now, you know how old I am. So when I say that I've known these women for 85 years, that's not a casual comment. That's something that, you know, not a lot of people can say. Absolutely. So uh, for 85 years, I have been in contact with these women that I went to kindergarten with. And some of them are in Florida, some are still in New York, a couple were in California as well. Now there's only three of us left. I'm one of them. One is in New York and one is in Florida. And we're still in touch. So there you go. Uh, they were very influential in my writing of Rosie. Rosie, I, I believe that every writer is in their story, in their book. Even Stephen King, you know he's got to have a crazy mind because of the way he writes, right? You know his personality because of the way he writes. And when you read Rosie, you know my personality as well. And it, you're friends that you make and family that you have and, and experiences that you have all go into the, um, the story, whether you know it or not. And uh, yeah, Rosie is me in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. I love, I love to write and it, it really, um, I love to write and I love to influence other people to write. And so I have this, this writing group, as your mother probably told you, and, uh, it changes, people change from time to time. They want to continue writing where they don't, but the people who have stuck with it for the last three years, two or three years, love it. And it gives them the inspiration to write even though they didn't think they could. And I think they could, and I love reading their stories. I love reading all the stories that, that and, and the, nice, the nicest thing about that group is that, let's take your mother, for example, okay? Uh, so I only know her through Canasta, right? I do not know her background. I don't know who she was when she was younger. But as she keeps writing these stories, and I, as I keep giving these prompts to people, they start writing about things that happened before I knew them. And I learned so much about them that I didn't know before. Uh, I mean, I have a friend who was a dancer. I didn't know that. She was also a foster child because her mother abandoned them. And, um, you know, these are things that, that um, I just had no idea. You learn a lot about people when they're writing and they learn about themselves. That's the most important thing is that when you're writing something, all of a sudden you say, oh my God, you know, I didn't realize, are you a writer? Do you write? Yeah. Oh, so well, then you know. <laughs> well, no. personal writing but I like reading books and analyzing them but Good. definitely you learn about yourself a lot when you're yeah writing. you do you learn about yourself a lot and it's very cathartic mm -hmm. and, and you know and you you begin to evaluate you know what what your values are 
So anyway, what else? <laughs> yeah, I do love to write. Would you say that you have a biggest regret looking back? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, one of the things that just comes to mind, and I mentioned it before, was that I wasn't home enough with the kids, that I didn't really see them um, growing up. And, and, you know, in retrospect, I know there's certain things I would have handled differently, especially with Lori, uh, because, uh, you know, she, she had a lot of um, emotional problems she overcame all of them, but she was very insecure. Her self-esteem was not good, and yet she was very successful. So, you know, I try to explain to people that you could have low self-esteem and still be successful. Uh, and, and um, you know, she just never thought anybody liked her, and, and the, the people were talking about her, and, and, uh, and she had a lot of fears, uh, and you, you couldn't really please her she had an empty hole in her that that couldn't be filled and um and and i was i'm sad that i didn't handle certain things correctly with her but what did i know you know i mean i can't you can't you have to reach a point where um you say okay i didn't i didn't understand it at the time or i, I didn't know better uh today I'm more mature. I would have. I see now, but I didn't. What I didn't see then, you know. It's like I wrote in one of my uh, stories that that uh, when, how come when I, or something like when I married my husband, the sweater was whole, but then then the stitches started to come apart and unravel, and uh, you know I likened it to a sweater that you're having that that you love, and then then you start the stitches start coming out. So uh, how could you see that? How could you foresee certain things? You can't. And uh, yeah, when now that I'm 91, I say, oh, yeah, why didn't I? Or I should have, you know. But you can't go back. You can't go back. It is what it is. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful that, that my kids were the way they were. I wish that Lori would have had more happiness in her life but the fact of it is you couldn't make her happy because she had that unhappiness gene in her in fact once she told me she said i like being unhappy because i'm emotional when i'm unhappy i let my emotions out so on uh, that will tell you a little bit about lori but she was so sweet and so uh heartfelt and she had such a good heart and um i'm always sorry that she didn't have the family that she always wanted, that she was unable to reach that pinnacle in her life of getting married and me seeing her walk down the aisle, that will always make me sad when I think of it, always. And when I think of her, I'm always sad and happy that I knew her as much long as I did, but sad that she's not here with me now. You know, That's life, right? right. Life in a pickle barrel, they say. <laughs> I know it's an odd expression that you're not familiar with. <laughs> On a lighter note, what do you think the best decision that you ever made was? Well, without a doubt, it's it, the best decision I ever made was come to California to leave New York. Mm -hmm. That was the very best decision I ever made. Yeah. I love California. Yes. I love California. I love where I live. Um, I really, um, I loved living in Marina del Rey. That was like the best years of my life, probably. Uh, and I was single and happy and making a lot of money and, and dating. And, and, uh, and the kids were out, you know, they were on their own. So I didn't have that responsibility anymore. It was just, it was just a really good time. But this is a good time also. Um, the thing that I regret now is that, um, you know, I'd like to write another novel, uh, uh, but I think it's, I don't know if I have the patience. I've already, st I started two novels that I keep thinking I need to go back to, I need to go back to them. 
it's probably been seven or eight years since I started those novels, but I think about them all the time, both novels, and both would be really good if I could ever complete them. But at my age, you know, uh, there are other things that I like to do, and I, I would have to, I am isolated now, so it's a good time to do it, but I would really have to divorce myself from my friends. I'd have to dedicate myself to writing these novels, and that's what I'm not exactly willing to do. Uh, well, if I wanted to write the novels, I probably could, but I'd have to say, okay, no more lunches, no more canasta, no more anything. That's, I've got to sit at the computer, and that's what I have to do. And I, I'm not quite ready to do that. So I think they'll lay stagnant. Maybe I should send them to you, and you can complete them. <laughs> that would be quite the honor. <laughs> I don't know. Anything else? Okay, I've got one more question for you. Okay. This is a fun one. Okay, what would you say your most embarrassing moment is? Oh my God. <laughs> oh. Okay, I can think of, of one. Okay. Um, when I was dating my second husband, um, we. I say we, but probably he ran, he ran with a, a movie crowd. Now, movie crowds are, you know, they're over and above, beyond what they should, but having fun. So I remember um, we stayed over at, at a director's house. He was friends with this director and his wife. And uh, they had a party the night before, and we stayed over. And uh, so in the morning, I got up and, and uh, didn't... Uh, think anyone was awake and I thought okay I'm going to take a shower I went in to take a shower and the next thing I knew someone was filming me <laughs> it was the director's wife and she was filming me filming me taking the shower I actually and 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 Bill my my husband-to-be was with her so they he was the director and he was with her and they were filming me taking a shower that was an embarrassing moment my how, what was your reaction to that Get out of here! <laughs> what are you doing? I don't think that would have. I don't think we've well, gotten away with that now. Uh, well, no, not now. <laughs> no. This this was a long time ago. This was like in in let's say in 1975, 77. Yeah, about 1977. And so I was, you know, already 45, 47 years old. So I was at a point where I wasn't teenager or anything taking a shower this was this was their idea of a joke and, uh, and it was my idea I said I'm, I'm taking that camera and I'm destroying it immediately after I get out of the shower so you know it was it was it was fun okay it was embarrassing but it was fun also. <laughs> that's really that, funny that was an embarrassing uh, moment I'm sure there were others and I'll think of them afterwards but, but for the most part um, and I, I did have uh, other embarrassing moments that I remember once when I was uh, working in a law firm. It was one of my first jobs. And um, the one thing I always forgot to do was put, and I, I was at fault at this, I, I always forget to put the attorney's uh, return address label on, on an envelope that I'd sent out to clients and stuff. So um, uh, one time he had clients in his office and he called me in to sign some for him to give me some documents. And um, he said in front of the clients, and don't forget to put an address on the label. And, uh, and I, you know, I was really embarrassed by that. And when I, and I left and I, you know, so when the clients left, I confronted him and I said, uh, I don't think you, I think it was embarrassing. You embarrassed me in front of clients. Yeah. If you had something to say to me about that, you could have said it afterwards or yeah. before. And he said, yeah, but you're never going to do that again, are you? <laughs> and I said, no, probably not. <laughs> but anyway, that was a very embarrassing moment. Yeah. Was he right? <laughs> yeah, he was right. I never did it again. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, I was, I was, I was, you know, your age at the time. I think it's wonderful that you're doing this at 17. Thank you. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Thank okay. you. Okay, is that the last question? Yeah.
Oh, how about that? Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your honesty and... Oh, I, I hope it wasn't too much, you know. No. Uh, <laughs>